0: Proverbs chapter 8, uh, we'll be looking at continuing our study through the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to kind of camp right there in Proverbs 8, not necessarily going with a the theme, uh, but really just kind of camping ourselves right there in um, the 8th chapter of Proverbs. Uh, well, as you turn there, I do want you just to, to be praying uh, for me. I'll be traveling uh, this next week and a half. Um, I have had have, have the opportunity to go to Israel uh, to lead a group um, uh, from Rock Hill to there to kind of plan and pray uh, with them. Uh, so I'll be leaving tomorrow afternoon and be coming back Wednesday the 17th. So uh, prayers would be appreciated uh, for safe travel there and back. Uh, also be praying for my wife and my children. Uh, she's a saint, isn't she? <laughs> Gone for a week for school, then two more weeks for uh, a trip. So I'll be praying that uh, God would sustain and give her grace. So uh, it's a great privilege to be uh, together today. I missed you dearly this past week, thinking about the church and the mission of the church. and. Just grateful uh, for the people of Park Baptist Church and the the ministry that God has called us together with. Well, I'm going to read the entirety of Proverbs chapter 8. Let us marvel at God's beauty of wisdom. I'll pray, and then we'll dig into the scriptures uh, together. Hear the word of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the Entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right, and from my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just, and by me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago I was set up, At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there was no depths I was brought forth, when there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains I had been had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, oh, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, when I was beside him like a master workman, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your holy word. What a privilege it is for your people to sit underneath your word. Lord, you speak. You speak to us. And we want to have humble hearts to listen. God, you are good. You are gracious and holy, righteous. Father, orderly, immutable. God, we thank you for your uh, eternality, God, that you don't need anything from us. God, when we think of your greatness, your glory and your majesty, we're reminded of how far we fall short of the calling you've given us. How we too often choose the way of folly rather than the way of wisdom. God, we have chosen to use perverted speech towards one another not building one another up in love. Uh, We have chosen to neglect the way of salvation. We have chosen to trust in our works rather than the works of Christ. God, whatever sin uh, the people have in their hearts this morning, we bring them in confession to you. And we know that because the sinless Savior died, our sinful souls are counted free. God, we know that we have been united with Christ uh, that we are no longer sinners, but we have been saved by the matchless grace of our Lord Jesus. So, God, we ask you, in the name of Christ, to forgive us our sins. Father, we lift up to you those in our community who are struggling. We lift up to you, Ms. Pat West. Father, we thank you for her, her life and for her ministry of prayer for this body. God, we pray that you would minister to her now. Heal her, we pray. And God, there are so many in our church who are struggling, uh, both physically and emotionally. God, you know every single one of their needs. So God, I pray that those who struggle with loneliness, that you would be there. Those who struggle with um, hopelessness, that you would be there. Those who struggle uh, physically, that you would be there. God, you are the God who knows all. So I pray that today, this morning, you would minister in a unique, specific way to to your people who are in need. Lord, we also pray for our city. We pray for the gospel to go forth. We pray specifically for uh, Jay Hardwick at North Rock Hill. We pray, Lord, that as he preaches, the people of God would be edified and strengthened there. God, build that church up more and more into your likeness. Uh, Protect them from error. God, we pray that they would be a church that would shine uh, as a city on a hill. And dear God, we now bow before you as as your people, uh, asking that you would speak a word to us. Uh, Lord, you uh, are so good in so many ways. God, we want you to continue to show your goodness now through the preaching of your word. That as the word is announced and declared uh, through my mouth, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would attend the word of God and plant it upon people's hearts. That you would convict us of sin and encourage us of of our righteousness, God, the righteousness that we have in Christ. But, God, above all else, we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in this word, that your name would be extolled, that when we lift high the name of Jesus Christ, that you would draw men unto yourself. So God, I pray that those who are here with us today would be drawn into a, a deeper relationship with the Lord God. God, continue to motivate and encourage your people to share the great message of Christ uh, with our community and with the world. We ask this humbly, but boldly, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, so in on September 19th, uh, 1931, uh, something happened that has affected your lives. You may not even realize it, but something that you probably have had the chance to experience, whether that's the the, the, the Hobbit, uh, the Lord of the Rings series, uh, or the Chronicles of Narnia series, was was birthed in many ways out of a conversation that took place one evening, September 19, 1931. Uh, C.S. Lewis invited J.R. Tolkien and Henry Dyson uh, out to dinner. Uh, they ate dinner at Madeline College, and after that they took a walk down by the river, and C.S. Lewis started talking about myths, and he said, he said that myths, he enjoyed them, but they were untrue, in which J.R. Tolkien replied, no, they are not. Tolkien argued that myths were far from being lies, but in every myth, there was a, a picture of, of God, a picture of God's narrative. He told Lewis this. He says, we have come from God. And inevitably, the myths woven by us, though they contain air, also will reflect a splintered fragment of true light, the eternal truth that is with God. He wanted to show that myths weren't exactly lies, but they were were a window in which we could see God's story of the world. Myths, the stories we read, the movies we watch, are hardwired into us you Have ever uh, watched a movie? You know, most movies have a very similar theme. Uh, all of the, the science fiction films today, you have something good, everything is at peace, and then all of a sudden there's a bad science experiment. Someone becomes crazy and evil, the world is in danger, and that someone is raised up to, to rescue them from the evil so that the world can live happily ever after. Uh, or you have this story of, of Cinderella, uh, common played out in film and stories. You have something, maybe not start good. A baby is born, her parents die. And then she's put with the evil step family. And, you know, things get bad. And then she has hope with the, the fairy godmother who comes into her life. And then doesn't work out and she goes down. The, 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 the end of the story, the, the prince comes in and they, they are married and happily ever after. The happy ending. Well, if you ask yourself, what is your favorite movie? You would see a very common theme. You would see something good, something bad, a rescue take place, conflict resolved to a happy ever after. Normally, that's a general theme of movies and stories. The reason why that is is because those who write those stories are trying to make sense of life. And that that story is hardwired into us by the God who created us. Uh, We see that God in his perfection created the world good and Humanity fell into sin. So now we all experience pain and difficulty in our world, and yet we all long for a Redeemer. We all long for a Rescuer to come and and to give us our happy ending, our um, happily ever after. So God, in His mercy, sent Jesus after humanity fell into their sin uh, to give us our our happily ever after, uh, to, to, to redeem us for those who would repent and trust in Him. Life, true life, is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What I've been thinking so much through the book of Proverbs, you know, when you look at Proverbs, Proverbs is very practical. We've talked about work. We've talked about friendship. We've talked about the home. When we think about these themes, we can kind of focus a lot on the practicality of Proverbs. And we're going to continue the the next several uh, weeks thinking about these practical aspects, these themes in Proverbs, But what I thought would be fitting for us today is to think about life, to think about how we make sense of life. The only way we can ultimately make sense of life is in the person of Jesus Christ. At the end of John's gospel, he writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may have life, that in Jesus that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God that by believing you may have life in His name. Uh, this message this morning is very simple: I desire that you may find life. I want you to consider if you are truly seeking the right kind of life or are you seeking something else to bring you ultimate keyword ultimate joy So if you want to take your outlines, provide it for you, flip to the back of your uh, your bulletin and you'll, we'll walk through this together the first Encouragement or charge is to seek life. Seek life. One of the most common questions that we all are going to face in our life is what is the purpose of life? Uh, Several years ago, Rick Warren wrote a a little book called uh, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, And that book has its problems, but that key question, What is the purpose of life, captivated a nation and the world. There's been millions and millions of copies of that book sold because people want to know what is the purpose of life. Now, that's a question that we think that philosophers call to debate all the time. But beloved, I challenge you to look at your own life and you know your purpose. You are living out what you believe your purpose to be in your actions. We all have an answer to that question. We may not be able to articulate it, but we are able to define it functionally in how we live. Think about a business. Most businesses, the main goal is what? Make money. Yeah, to make money. Thank you, Dan. Right? They, they want to they want profit. And because their main goal is profit, they function uh, in, their, in their, how, they, how they set up their business to make that profit. Uh, for example, they... Uh, value production more than people. So they don't necessarily care if someone has a day off on Sunday. They care about production because the more you produce, the more money you you make. So they don't care if you go home at 5 o'clock, do they? (laughs) Right? They want you there to 7 or 8 because production is most important. Uh, The goal of profit determines where the business is located. Should we keep it in the United States to provide good jobs or should we take it overseas so we can make more profit? Or how do we market this product? I mean, everything is driven by their end goal of what they want in money. Beloved, I think many of us have the wrong end goal of our lives. I think we have idols in our own heart that, we've, that functionally control us in how we live. So most of us are living our lives apart from the purpose that God has given us in knowing Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Solomon, when he wrote the book of Proverbs, he gave the main goal of our lives. The main goal of the lives in the Proverbs is what? Fear the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus would say that you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the the law and the prophets are summed up in this. So we have to ask ourselves, are we living for the fear of the Lord? Are we living to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? And I guess the reason why I'm framing it that way is because I've been looking at my own life and asking my own heart and my own uh, processes in terms of how I make sense of my world that question. Am I seeking life? Am I seeking to fear the Lord with my life? Am I seeking to love the Lord with my soul, my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Am I seeking to love my neighbor as myself? Now I could say in one sense, of course I am. But then when I start looking at the practical ways I live, I'm like, wait, wait a second. I'm not so sure that is the case. Look at the text today in, in Proverbs 8, verse 17. This is our key verse I want to draw out. Chapter 8, verse 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Now, the book of Proverbs is the personification of wisdom. Wisdom becomes a lady, lady wisdom. Some would say that this is is, is a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. I wouldn't go that far, but what I would say is that this picture of wisdom finds its fullness in Christ. Uh, we looked at the, very, at the very beginning of this series that Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, to, treat, to seek true wisdom is to seek the person of Jesus Christ. And I think so many, so many times in our life, we make things out um, more, harder than they have to be. The goal of our life is to know Jesus Christ, the goal of our life is to seek Jesus Christ says, those who seek me. Every day we have two paths. Are we going to seek after Jesus or are we going to seek after folly? Folly calls out loud to us to find your ultimate joy in something other than Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, when I think about praying for you, I don't want you to find your joy in anything but Jesus Christ. Ultimately. Now, can you have joy in your children? Yes. Can you have joy in ice cream? You better, okay? We're called to have, have happiness in things, but our ultimate joy is only found in Christ because if your ultimate joy is not found in Christ, you may be in danger at the end of the day, on the last day. I've heard recently that Christians live for two days. We live for this day and for that day. Today. We can't live for tomorrow. We live for today and for that day, the, Lord, the day we meet our Lord. When you see how Proverbs is set up, Proverbs 7 is this call of the seductress or the adulteress. And then there's the call of wisdom in chapter 8. Uh, one of the best commentaries in the book of Proverbs is by a man named Bruce Watke. He kind of sets these two apart. So let me just show you very briefly how the call of father, the call of the seductress calls, and then the call, comparing it to the call of wisdom. This is what he says. He says, the adulteress calls the young man from the darkness and in secret. Wisdom calls is open and public. The wayward woman is loose. Wisdom is holy. The wayward woman is an unreliable liar. Wisdom is truthful and faithful. The seductress gives her body but not herself. Wisdom offers you true love. The adulteress offers fleeting pleasures. Wisdom provides everlasting joy. The adulteress is selfish, giving only to get. Wisdom delights to give and to serve. The seductress leads you to a chamber of death. Wisdom gives you everlasting life. Now, we don't probably are in a situation most of our lives to to have this situation play out. But I think that there is a seductress, there is a evil one, that's trying to tempt you to find your joy in something else. Uh, I would say he's Satan. He's our adversary. He's trying to call you to find your joy ultimately in something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we discover what we truly believe? Well, we take what we truly say we believe, we do a little math equation. I've shared this with you before. We take what we truly say we believe minus how we actually live. So we say we believe one thing, and yet we actually live another way. This is how we get what we actually believe. So our stated belief minus our actual practice gets us our actual belief. And I think what we need to do is have a little heart surgery and ask ourselves, truly give us the self-examined life and ask us, are we seeking the Lord? To diagnose the idols of our heart. We see this in a book by Tim Keller, Counterfeit Gods. He has a great list of, of 20 questions to to, to diagnose if we have idols in our heart. Let me just get you 10 because I think these are are, are key in the book of Proverbs. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I don't want you to walk through the book of Proverbs and here I need to be a good friend and feel burdened and weighted down that you are trusting in your ability to be a friend and not trusting in Christ. I don't want you to trust in your ability to be a good employee and not trusting in Christ. I don't want you to trust in your ability to be a good parent and not trusting in Christ. The goal is not behavior modification. The goal is to to come into the presence of the holy God of the universe in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Our goal is to know and love God. And yet we are still called to do things. But the things that we do spring from our relationship with Jesus. We can't miss that around. And in my own heart, in my, my, my prayers for the people, I don't want my preaching to lead you in that direction. So I thought it would be good and wise to take a moment and stop and think through these things. Let me just give you a few. Counterfeit gods. Life ha- only has meaning, or I only have worth if. That's the beginning. So life only has meaning if I have power and influence over others. That's the power idolatry life only has meaning and have worth if i am loved and respected by this person approval idolatry and beloved can i say that sometimes i struggle with that can i reveal some of my own heart to you sometimes i struggle with you (laughs) it says for me life only has meaning or i only have worth if i am loved and respected by the people of park baptist church And what happens if I'm not loved and respected by the people of Park Baptist Church? Sometimes I I struggle because what I'm doing is I'm trying to give you the place of God in my life. And you should never have that. That belongs to the Lord. And the Bible says that I'm accepted by who? By the Lord Jesus Christ because he shed his blood for me. So beloved, you may have someone in your life that you are living for that's not Jesus. It could be your spouse. It could be your, your boss. It could be your children. You do not live for anyone ultimately but the Lord Jesus Christ. I only have value or worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience or this quality of life, comfort idolatry. I am high, if I am highly productive and getting a lot done, the idolatry of work. I only have value if I am recognized for my accomplishments, the achievement idolatry. I am only I'm only loved if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. I am only of value if I am adhering to my religion's moral code and accomplishing its activities. Beloved, the list goes on and on. I'll post it to the website later today, but what I want you guys to see, I want you to ask questions of your own heart. Where do you find value? Because the world is trying to make sense of life. And where the world goes to find acceptance and significance is not where Christians go. The world goes in all sorts of directions. Work, relationships, drugs and alcohol, entertainment, comfort. That's where the world goes to find their meaning and value. Where Christians go, we go to Christ. We find our joy and our fulfillment in that our God sent his son to die for us. To die in our place because his blood shed on the cross as you are forgiven and accepted by me. And he proved that through his resurrection from the dead. So now, we are no longer walking in this life alone, but we are intimately connected with Christ. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remind us that we are with Christ. So just very simply, are you seeking life? Are you seeking true life in Christ? The second thing I want you to see here is that I want you to find life. Not only to seek him, but I want you to find him. Proverbs 817 again. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. And then at the end of this passage, thirty-five and thirty-six, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who love all who hate me love death. Life, again, is ultimately not in what you do. Life is ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. And do you know him? We are trained in our Western minds that we have to achieve acceptance by God. We have to do these things to be accepted by God. No, no, we go to a person. We go to a person and that person is Jesus. It's all flowing from our relationship with him. And here's the amazing thing about that, is that you can actually find Him. You who are an enemy separate from God because of your sin, God says you can be reconciled or made right with Him. Jesus Christ came not just to die for you, but to bring you in a right relationship with God. You can seek after God and find Him in the person of Jesus Christ. Just think about how Amazing that is that the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who was there when, when, the, when the, the, the waters and the earth were separated, the one who in the snap of his fingers can make it all go away, that one looks at you and says, come to me. Come to me and find life. The promise is that when we seek Jesus, we will find him. We read this great picture in Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. We've probably read it on a coffee mug, but it's actually in the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and Come and pray to me, and I will hear you. I will seek, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the places, place where I sent you into exile. Beloved, we are only called to find life, true life, in the name and the person of Jesus Christ. And when we find that life, when we are connected with Christ, you know what's the most natural outflow of our lives? is to help other people find him too. One of the things our church needs to really pray for and pray about is are we being witnesses for the Lord Jesus? Are we sharing this great message? Are we sharing the person of Jesus Christ? It is easy, beloved, to live your life in such a way before lost people, to make them think that you're a believer, But you know what the hardest thing to do is? It's to tell them why you live that way. Is that you live that way because you know Jesus. Because you were a sinner, you were lost, and Jesus died for you and saved you. You found Jesus, and you pray that they would find him too. That's what we want. We are called to witness that life. Lastly, we obtain life. So we seek after Jesus. And we, are, we find Jesus, and then we obtain Jesus. And here's what I mean. Our relationship with Jesus is a present reality and a future hope. So right now, today, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in him, if he is your Lord and Savior, and you are, are trusting ultimately only in him to give you life, the Bible says you are raised. That you are, according to God's... Uh, um, Eyes positionally righteous, blameless, holy. God says that you are as if you are resurrected from the dead today. You are alive and you no longer are dead. That is beautiful. That is a present reality. So, when you struggle with sin, you are beat down. That song we just sung when Satan tempts me to despair. And tells me of the guilt within. When you are being bombarded in your own soul and your conscience about how worthless you are. What we say is this. I'm righteous because of Christ. I am holy because of Christ. Because we don't trust in our work. We trust in the work of Christ. Do we know him? So we have already obtained that life. And yet... There's so much more waiting for us. God has said that he has given us the hope of eternity. He has placed the hope of eternity in our hearts so that when we trust in Christ, we know that we will ultimately end there. We don't live for this world, beloved. We live for the world that is to come. One day God is going to remake this world with fire and we are going to be in his presence forevermore we will be his people and he himself will be our God. We will be like we were in the Garden of Eden walking in perfect fellowship with him in the cool of the day. It's going to be glorious. So it is a present reality and a future hope. We hold on to Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we hold on to Jesus Christ is by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Do you know that the Lord's Supper was given to us by Christ so that you would know that you are Connected with him. The reason why it's called communion is because this is the way the church communes with Christ. Because sometimes we are tempted to believe that we have not obtained this life. We are tempted to believe that we just don't have enough righteousness. We're tempted to believe that we just don't have enough faith to to, to be accepted by God. What the table says is that if you are a believer in Christ, we feed Physically, with, with, the, with the drink and with the, um, with the bread that says that you are with me. We touch it physically to remind ourselves that we have obtained life. It is a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. We commune with him, and yet we commune with each other. I love what Casey said at the beginning, this idea that we should restore one another gently with gentleness. This, this idea, this communal nature of the church is so powerful. Uh, the reason why I always announce the Lord's Supper several weeks in advance is so that you can get yourself right with God and each other. Uh, we all know that when you are called to communion uh, together as a, as a people of God, there's going to be sin. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to um, use our, our, our speech in a wrong way. We may slander people. We may be offended by someone's lack of care for us. So when we come to the table, what we're saying is that that's all done. All that has been taken care of by the cross. And it unites us together. So when we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to be reminded that you have obtained life in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a physical symbol, so we physically touch the bread, we physically drink the cup as a reminder that we have obtained life. It's a present reality with a future hope. So as we prepare the elements, and I'd like invite the deacons to come forward. Uh, Ella's going to play, and as she plays, I just want you to remind yourself of the great grace that God has given us in Christ. So as the deacons come down, prepare your hearts to take the Lord's Supper.